Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, Before we begin uh, this new series today, I want to uh, take a few moments and I want to pray for the various crises that are happening around the world. And um, I mean, we know Afghanistan and trying to get our people out of there and plus those who are helping us there. We know that is a major humanitarian effort. We know Haiti has experienced another massive earthquake and I was in Haiti uh, a year after the last big one and I've seen with my own eyes in Port-au-Prince uh, the devastation in the aftermath of the tent cities and just buildings crumbled to the ground. And when I was there in, eight, in uh, what was that, 2012, 11, maybe 2011, um, it, uh, the unemployment rate there in Port-au-Prince, <coughs> Haiti, was 85%. Bad. They're just walking around everywhere. They have nowhere to go. And uh, we also know of the hurricanes coming on shore here in Louisiana. And so there's all kinds of things that are going on that we want to pray for, and we know we've lost soldiers here. One, they've been, a couple are local. I know one of the soldiers, uh, Pastor Michael, who runs our worship team. Him and my son Nathan, uh, they trained in mixed martial arts with one of the young men who was killed uh, there in um, in Afghanistan. So they they knew him, they knew who he was, and um, so I just want to pray for all these things. I also want to let you know that we've set up something because you ask me periodic people ask me. Can I give to help out? Because, look, we know that uh, a lot of organizations, if you give to it, 90% of that money just goes to administrative costs. It just goes towards people. It never gets there. And we know that. We all know that, right? So it's very. we've got to be very careful what organizations we give to. Um, but we've set up a disaster relief tab inside of our giving online. It's called AG Disaster Relief, AG for Summers of God Church. But we know good organizations, one of which is Convoy of Hope right now, of which I went to Haiti with, and they're a food distribution, they bring supplies, bring fresh water. They're already on the ground in Haiti. In fact, they have a massive warehouse in Port-au-Prince, I've seen it. Um, And uh, they're already bringing supplies into Afghanistan, trying to help the people there. Uh, They're boots on the ground right now, waiting for the hurricane. Once it passes, they're gonna go into the area of Louisiana, the hardest hit areas, they're bringing the food, they're bringing the water. And they're a great organization. They are a basically a silent arm of the Assemblies of God who are an Assemblies of God church. And so it'll go to good, good organizations like that if you desire to give. But I want to go ahead and pray, if I could, for the situations around the world. So if you would stand up with me, and if you can't for some physical reason, don't worry about standing. No, no problem. You just go ahead and sit down. But I want to pray. Holy Spirit, you're, you're, you are all over this thing. And we see, God, in this fallen world, the natural disasters. God, we see what people do to people. God, I just pray that, Lord, all the supplies, all the water, all the food gets there to help. Pray for all of our, um, our Americans in Afghanistan. They all get out, and all the sympathizers who've helped us get out before they're killed. I lift up the women in Afghanistan now in the aftermath of the Taliban. What's going to happen to them? Living in such a type of thinking um, in that country. 
So I pray for protection for them. I pray, Jesus, for the people in Louisiana that are weathering that storm right now. God, that you'd keep people alive. you keep them safe. For those who either couldn't or didn't get out to avoid that storm, keep them safe, God. Keep them safe. I pray for everybody that's lost loved ones, either in Afghanistan or in Haiti, and now possibly in this storm come. I pray for comfort for the families, but I specifically pray for parents here who lost their children, soldiers. I pray for comfort and peace for them because I just, I really cannot imagine what they're feeling. No one should outlive their children. But I pray, God, extra grace upon them. Comfort their hearts. Comfort their hearts, God. Because it is people like their kids that allow us to be safe here. They give us the freedom, the freedom that we so cherish that we need a fight to keep. God, pray you keep our country safe now that the Taliban can now establish a base again in that country. And they will seek to try to do something to us on our ground. There's no doubt about it. God, keep our country safe. God, let our intelligence pick up things before, uh, before they happen and stop it. And we thank you, Jesus, that we do live in a great country. We still do. But once again, comfort all the families that have lost family members through all these crises. And Spirit of God, do what you do. Because I know you can bring all kinds of good out of all kinds of bad. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for coming out today, and um, I'm starting a new series. If it's your first time here, I'm, I'm Jim Del Campo, and uh, I'm the the senior pastor of the church. Um, and this series I'm going to begin right now. Uh, I've waited on for years, <laughs> years, and as I've told many of you in the last two weeks, to for the purpose of praying for me, because categorizing all the things that I wanted to share that I've written down, because it's taken about 32 years to put this thing together now with all the notes and all the experience and all the nuances of, of Genesis to try to, to even share about these things. And I felt like, okay, now I can do it. I, I'm ready now. And um, today I just want to begin with a foundational message. If you're wondering where it's going, today's foundational. And every week is going to be a, a pillar of, every, of different issues. And I'm gonna, it's going to last eight to ten weeks. It's going to end somewhere in late November. Now, my heart in this is to is to heal our brokenness. I'm I'm as broken as anybody. I am I am I don't have it together. I got enough logs in my own eye, but there's just things I've learned in trying to be brutally honest with myself for 32 years with the with the Holy Spirit. Now I want to begin with this illustration though. I, I'm a sci-fi fan. Any sci-fi fans here? I I like The Matrix. I love the first Matrix movie. I I really can't believe that that movie's like 21 years old now. 22 years old now, sorry about that. But there's a scene in there, there's multiple scenes that really, when I first heard it, and, and in the ensuing times that I've seen that movie, it always, it always gets me, because it makes me think. And one was very important, because I can't go into the whole movie, if you didn't see it, you didn't see it. But Mr. Anderson, who is Neo, he's pulled out of the Matrix. Basically, humans are batteries, is what they are, they're copper tops, they call them batteries. And he's pulled out. And he's given the choice of the blue pill or the red pill. And if he takes the blue pill, he'll forget everything and go back in the matrix and 
It'll just, life will go on, and he's stuck in this matrix, this illusion of life. But if he takes the red pill, you know, <laughs> Morpheus says, we'll, go, we'll see how far down that rabbit hole goes. And what will happen is he'll begin to see the world as it truly is, even in all of its ugliness. And so he decides to take the red pill. He says, I want to come out of the matrix. And so he is now, they disconnect him from the matrix. He takes the red pill, and he's brought out of it. Now he must function as you know, a normal human being, but he has been living in this state for so long his muscles are atrophied. So they have him on a table, and they're trying to bring his muscles back up to par so he can just maneuver. And then he makes a statement. This is one of the first statements that ever caught me in the movie. I thought, oh my gosh. He said, why do my eyes hurt? And they say, because you've never used them before. And when I first heard that, I thought, I feel... There was a moment in my life when I felt just like that. When God started to open my eyes to see things that I'd never seen before in my life. I had been a Christian already 10 years. You know, God delivered me from the, the tip, usual suspects in the beginning, but I didn't realize how much brokenness I had within the area of relationships. I didn't realize how angry I was. I didn't realize all the dysfunctions. I, man, I didn't know I had so many logs in my eye. I don't even know how I saw anything. And so I really felt like, God, yeah, I, I've never used my eyes before, but now I'm beginning to see myself. And so when I come in this series here... Um, it's all about, obviously, breaking cycles and making new cycles. And today we're talking about the script on how that script was flipped. We'll see that in, the, in this message. But um, my heart is to heal relationships. My heart is to heal up so that we can relate properly to other people and to each other. I, I've been in ministry for a long time. I, I've been in full-time ministry for 36 years. I've been a Christian 42 years. I've seen plenty of relationships break up. I, I've seen dysfunction destroy people. I, I've seen a lot. And so in my journey, I just want to help uh, people out in the series. Um, I want to begin with a few um, foundational comments that I think will help us along the way. You'll hear repeated statements in the series that are very important. And it's important to repeat things because we don't get it the first time. How many know that? You know, you tell your spouse, your kids to do something. How many, I forgot, right? So we don't get it the first time. We're all in that boat. But I want to show you 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And this is something the New Testament writer Paul writes. He says, No temptation has taken you, and you is you and me, but such as that's common to men. Say common. Good. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, we'll provide oh, the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, in the midst of this whole thing, when he's talking about how we're, we're all tempted, and we're all tempted sim the same way, Satan has no new tricks, but he says it's common to man. And it took me a long time to understand and realize, wow, I never really thought about that, um, is that things are common to you and they are common to me in life. Now, that helped me tremendously when I would talk to people and still talk to people and I started going down the road of issues and things like that because you start to realize the commonality of all of us in this room and every, whether they're Christian or not, whether you follow Christ or not, there's a commonality that my story fits in your story and your story fits in mine. 
We all have brokenness. Amen to that one? And I am not inferring that you are completely broken in every, every way, shape, or form. You have good pieces, so do I. But you have broken pieces, so do I. And so I want to go down that vein right there. But it is just common to all of us. I want you to say this phrase with me. Repeat after me. Various degrees. Variety of departments. Try it again. Various degrees. Variety of departments. And what I mean by that is this. So that none of us, and how many know denial is a real deal, right? People go into denial. As soon as the lights turn on in them, they go into denial. They blame. They point. They, people, the, the more insecure we are, the more in denial we go. But various degrees and variety of departments, I simply mean this to avoid denial, is that um, when I share things as we go along, um, I may have that certain issue um, 80% in my life, and you may only have it 10%, but it doesn't mean you don't have it, so don't go into denial. And I may have it in one department like you know, 60%, and you may not have it in a certain department of your life, but how many know your life is filled with a bunch of different departments, right? So it goes into all these different places in our life, and later on we look at shame, that's the big issue right there, and shame invades everything. When I've counseled people and talked to people, I always try to tell them this, that shame, and we'll see how we all have it in a second, shame is like an octopus, but it doesn't just have eight tentacles, it has like about a zillion tentacles and it goes into every part of our life and we walk around with this thing and we don't even realize it many times I know I didn't I didn't see a lot of these things in my life and so once we understand these things um, we can get out of denial we don't have to sit there and say not me, not me, not me not yet. Just, just be open to it now the first thing we're going to do is we're going to see today this foundation. I'm not going to get into the issue today except to maybe tease you at the very end. I'm going to run through a list to tell you, oh, this is where we're going, okay? But the script was changed. Now I've got to tell you what the script was before we go into the change in the Bible. And you can turn to Genesis 3 if you'd like right now because that's what we're going to cover today for the most part. Um, but let me back up and just dialogue with you. In Genesis chapter 2, we find uh, everything, the perfect script. E everything was good. There was the first couple, Adam and Eve, they had a relationship. They had what every person in this room desires in relationship. Do, do we not desire honesty? Don't we desire intimacy? Don't we desire to be connected and closeness, close to the other person? Don't we want to be able to trust that person? Any amens? I can't hear you. Yeah. How about identity? Don't we want to really know who we are in Christ? Once you get to that, boy, nothing's going to sway you about anything out in this world. I mean, so these are things that are very um, foundational to who we are as people, and they have that. They have this perfect relationship in the beginning. It was a great script. But then Satan comes manipulating the serpent, and he comes on the attack. Now, you, now think about that. Because you don't see him showing up until Eve is created. He doesn't show up when it's just Adam. He shows up when now Eve, the wife, is brought to Adam. Now he's got the wife. And so now he comes, and he's going to try to get into the relationship and mess it up. That's very telling. You know why? Because it follows his pattern. Because he was Lucifer, and he did have perfect relationship with God, and then he blew it. He fractured that relationship, so now you find him trying to fracture 
the human relationship here. And he tries to fracture not just our close relationships, but our friendship relationships. He'll fracture your family. He'll fracture your team. He'll fracture everything. And this is the big goal in his life. And he seeks to change the script, God's original script, of things like honesty, transparency, closeness, trust, etc., etc., etc. Now, let's look. I'm going to give you, I think, two points a day. Like I said, we're going to look first at how the script was rewritten. So that's number one in your notes. Number one, Satan attempts and succeeds in the rewriting of God's relationship script. Now, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 through 7, and we're going to see his strategy. Now, let me tell you, as a Christian, if you don't read the Bible at all, then I don't even know why you're a Christian. Because this is the book of truth. Any amens? You're going to go down all kinds of wrong roads if you're not reading this. You're going to believe so many things out there that are just lies when this is the truth. But especially in Genesis 3 at the get-go, this will show you how Satan plays, what his strategy is in spiritual warfare. And if you don't understand how he attacks and how he goes after God's truth, then you're going to fall for a lot of things. So let's watch and let's see. I'm going to read seven verses Then I'm going to go back and I'm going to give you quick comments on it just to show you what's going on here. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? It's a question he's asking. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die, exclamation point. For God knows in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now the temptations come in because now she's focusing on that thing that's forbidden. Man, you start focusing on what's forbidden, you're going to go after what's forbidden. So she spoke. She saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes. Looks pretty good. And that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Hmm. She took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her because he's standing right next to her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew. Say knew. They know, now they know something they didn't know before. That's a key statement right there. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves loin coverings. Now, let's get into this. So now we see the serpent coming along, being manipulated by, by the enemy, by Satan, speaking through him. And he asks the question, and here, let me give it to you the, this way, the way I would say it. Hey, has God said that there are any trees in this garden that you can't eat from? Now, does, this, does Satan already know she can't eat from that tree? You better believe he knows that. But now he's, he's, in a, he's probing, he's getting her to speak and to talk. Is there any trees you, you can't eat from here? Now, she says, yeah, we can't eat from that tree there. And then in verse 3, she adds, she says, well, you can't even touch it or you die. Did God ever say she couldn't touch it? 
God never said that. But now she's adding to God's word. That's a very dangerous place to be. You don't add to God's word. God's word is God's word, right? Now, and then when she says this in verse 4, now we find that Satan says, he says, you surely shall not die. Because she said, we eat it, we die. You surely shall not die. What did he just call God? God's a liar, Eve. God's lying. This book is a lie. This book is just pulling you back from something you could enjoy. God's lying to Eve. And then in verse 5, he says, <laughs> he says, you see, God knows that in the day you eat of it. Now, now think about what he just said. God knows in the day you eat of it. In other words, he's saying, Eve, God knows something and he's trying to keep you back and hold you back from enjoying that thing that he knows about. See, God's holding out on you, Eve. See, you're not enjoying yourself. You could have so much more pleasure if you just go in that road. God's holding out on you, Eve. And then in verse 5, he finishes off by saying, God knows the day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Oh, there's a big statement. Because he's saying, if you eat of that fruit, Eve, you will now walk in a spiritual enlightenment. You will know more. You will be wiser. You will be spiritually enlightened. Now, I want you to think about that. Because what he's telling her is, you'll be like God. In other words, you'll be the shot caller. You decide what is right and what is wrong. And isn't that, we see the mess of our society today where it's going? That humans are now deciding what's right and wrong and they're flipping the script of our Judeo-Christian ethic of which everything is built on here in this country. Because that's what you're seeing right now. People have made themselves God and displaced God from their life. Now I want you to think about this. He said, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. That follows his MO. Because one of the reasons Lucifer, now Satan, was booted out of heaven, because in Isaiah 14, 14, one of his problems was he wanted to be like God. And now he's tempting Eve to be like God. And so now you see this whole thing playing out. And now you see what he's trying to get her to. And then in verse 7, she bites. And all of a sudden, spiritual enlightenment that was promised. You will know things that are much better. God's holding out on you. And when she bites, instead of spiritual enlightenment, it brings disappointment. It brings embarrassment. Because now she knew something she didn't know before. Now she knew she was naked. Question, wasn't she always naked? Yeah, she was always naked. But now there's something about it. She knew something. And notice what they do. Let me give you a quick side note that we'll play on later on in this series. She goes and she gets fig leaves, her and Adam, and they sew fig leaves together to cover up their loin area. Now, once they break the fig leaf off that fig tree... Is that fig leaf now going to keep growing or will it now, is it now dying? It's now dying. That's an interesting little nuance right there. And don't we do this as humans? Don't we try to find life? Don't we try to fix ourselves with some earthly thing, some inanimate object that doesn't bring us life but in fact is dead? Any amens on that? See, they had life in God. And we find true life in God. I mean, how many people, quick side note back, how many people get in so much debt because they're trying to find life in inanimate dead things? We're all trying to find these fig leaves to try to give us some kind of good feeling, this and that, when it only comes from God. Now they're using a dead thing, a dying thing, to fix their situation, to bandage their relationship. Now, this is where the script has now flipped. 
This is where everything's going to be rewritten and now being rewritten. Let me, let me try to explain that to you. I went to, um, uh, some of you went to Royal Family Kids Camp. You were leaders there, and uh, I think it's about 13 of us from here went um, and went with the crossroads, and it's a great camp. Every year, every summer, they do it. I went to the Friday night dinner. It was at Crossroads. I could only stay for about a half hour. As I'm there, a, a woman comes up to me. I'm guessing she was in her 30s. And how many know that I used to play Jesus in an annual Easter musical in Corona back in the 80s? Raise your hand. There's just, there's, it's like World War II veterans. We're a dying breed, okay? There's very few. Yeah, I, I played it from 1980 to 91. People have asked me, you ever do that again? Jimmy will not wear a diaper in public ever again on a cross, okay? It's not going to happen. Uh, nobody wants to see a 60-some-year-old man in a diaper, all right? Even the 60-some-year-old man don't want to see himself in a diaper. So, she's, and she said that, she goes, I remember going to plays when I was a little girl. Which means what? Thank you, okay? Which means I'm old. That's, when I hear that, oh, you're a little girl. Okay, thanks. And so, um, and she talked about that. But let me tell you, uh, that play was a great time, and I... The 11 years I did, I tell people I think I, I think I was crucified 250, 60 times over all those years. I kept rising from the dead, though. You know, it's like. But one time there was this one night we were on the plane, and I and they're and I'm I'm coming up there, I'm carrying the cross, and they throw me down, and and when the curtain opens up and they're coming, we'd have the the thief on this side, thief on this side, and we'd have the guards pulling them up on the cross beam, setting them up, and they throw me to the ground, and they're nailing me, and I'm like ah, screaming in pain and everything. And what happened was, as they're pulling this thief up, he let go and fell off. The person nailing me, I'm on the ground acting it out, screaming, he goes, and the guy's name who fell off was Kai. He goes, Kai just fell off the cross. The guy who's nailing me and says, Kai just fell off the cross, his name is Chris Songson, okay? Chris Songson was a local pastor here, okay? He was my junior high pastor, and I was the student ministry pastor. And Chris, as he's nailing me, I'm going, oh, he's going, what do we do? Kai fell off the cross. I go, oh, do something, oh. You know. <laughs> what do you want me to do, okay? You know, so they pull me up on the cross, and I'm writhing in pain, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I see Kai on the ground, and he doesn't know what to do, so he walks off the set. They tell him, get back out there and get on the cross. <laughs> he comes back out. He tries to climb back on the cross. And he can't. So he looks around and drops dead on the spot. <laughs> That's not even the weird part. The weird part is, like a couple days later... My brother-in-law's name is Hector. He was there at that particular performance. And he said, yeah. I told him about what happened. He goes, I thought that's the way you wrote it. <laughs> okay, let's see here. Okay. So the thief wants to be crucified. So much that he got free off it, but he's going to come back in and try to climb up there, all right? I go, no, that's not in the script, all right? But, but here's the deal. My brother-in-law thought that was what we normally, what we wanted. Not so. But how much of our life that we think is normal is actually abnormal? How many of us are walking in departments and various degrees in the script of our life and we think that's normal? Well, that's the way my parents did it. Oh, 
So because that's the way they did it, that's normal? See, what happens to us is the abnormal becomes normal. Say that with me. The abnormal becomes normal. Everybody, the abnormal becomes normal. And we don't know it yet because we haven't looked in that degree or department of our life to see how it compares with what normal looks like because we don't even know what normal looks like. So the script has now been flipped. Now, what does that mean? How does it affect Adam and Eve and the rest of us because we've all sinned? Well, that's point two in our foundational teaching here. And that is our perception of self, others, and God is rewritten. The way we perceive ourselves now, the way we perceive others and how we think they perceive us and how we think God perceives us and we perceive God, that's all been broken. That's all distorted. Let's go back to Genesis 3 and verse 7. Watch this. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew. Say knew. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together, uh, made themselves loin coverings. Now, the key emphasis there I want you to notice and we'll get into other parts of that verse as we go along in weeks to come they knew something but what they now knew wasn't true what they now knew was abnormal what they now knew was a whole different perception of what life is Satan promised enlightenment and he delivered embarrassment and disappointment and that's what they're living in now let's back up and let's see what was and now what is let's compare in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 and 25 and we've just finished with the bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh stuff, but notice verse 24 and 25 when everything was right when everything was good in relationship it says for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother that basically means men cut the cord okay and be joined to his wife. Oh, notice join. Notice togetherness, connectedness, intimacy, right? And they shall become one flesh. Not two separate entities, but one flesh. There's closeness again. And the man and his wife are both... It's okay to say it, okay? And the man and his wife are both... Doesn't that make you feel better to say that in church? And we're not ashamed that's a big statement notice the connection the intimacy the closeness and don't tell me that sometimes you don't feel alone in your relationships the honesty is there the innocence is there the trust is there they're not ashamed they're naked standing what you see is what you get they're not ashamed and the word shame basically means to be disappointed. There's nothing disappointing about themselves to themselves. Well, I'm okay, man. Now, serpent comes in, tempts Eve. They take of the fruit they're not supposed to eat of. They bite. And all of a sudden they go, oh no. Now they know something. And they got to cover up. Now shame comes into the world. Shame through sin. And everyone has sinned. Any amens? Therefore, shame transfers everybody. Now, shame, if they were not disappointed before unashamed, now they are disappointed in themselves. Their perception of self, perception of others and how others view them, perception of God and how God views them, everything has been twisted and distorted in a moment of time. Now, watch this, because I didn't connect this piece together until about, I don't know, years ago. But Romans 3.23, which is a common Romans, what we call the Romans Road verse, Paul writes it, and he says this. Read it with me. One, two, three. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, literally, we know that means because we have all sinned, 
Therefore, we're separate from God, and we cannot make it into heaven, eternity, on our own merit. We need the blood of Jesus and the life of Jesus and what He's done for us and to put our faith in Him and give our life to Him to be born again, and then we can go to heaven, right? But there's got to be some other nuance to that verse. The fall short. I fall short. Not only do I fall short of God, and because I live in this fallen state, I fall short in my own thinking. I don't measure up. I don't think I'm as good as that person. Look at me. I look in the mirror like, ugh. You know, why would anyone want this? And there's all kinds of different nuances and different things about this that we could go on and on in. But I fall short. I just don't measure up. And that's in the shame issue. That's in the fall of mankind. Say this with me. This becomes a very key statement in the series. If, boy, if I could just get people to understand this and understand it, it would change your life. Here we go. One, two, three. Sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. Say it again. Sin says, I've done wrong, I've done bad. Shame says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. How many of you have heard me make that statement before? Please raise your hand. I've done it so many times in 29 and a half years. When I sin, and we all do, we say, I've done wrong. I've done bad. Shame takes that, it personalizes it, and says, I'm wrong, I'm bad. Guilt has to do with behavior. I've done wrong. Shame has to do with identity. Something wrong with me. I, I don't measure up. I, I'm not good enough. I'm a fraud. I'm a this. I'm a that. You say, well, I, I never think that. If we sat down for a while, you start talking, just I let you talk for 20 minutes and hang yourself, and then start asking questions, I bet you some stuff would come out. And it's not because I'm some magician. Just, just what it is. Think now. Just please think with me. Eve. She's physical perfection. Whoever you think is the most beautiful Hollywood starlet or Miss Universe or whatever, they're nothing compared to what Eve was. Physical perfection. She takes a bite of that fruit. Now, her physical state has not changed. Nothing about her physically has changed. But she takes a bite of that fruit, and all of a sudden, she goes, Oh no, something's wrong with me. Is that crazy or what? She's physical perfection. And she bites that thing. And all of a sudden, she, she looks at herself and says, There's something wrong with me. I just don't measure up. I've got to cover up. And this is, has so many implications in our life. Now she knew something like us. And what they knew is now what they're going to do. And they're going to act on this now. Because now it's invaded mankind. Everyone has sinned. Shame is a result of sin. Therefore, everyone has shame. Various degrees and variety of departments. But it's all in there. Because it's biblical, it's there. Now... This is where it gets interesting. And this is where I'm going to just tease you a bit, okay, of what's coming in the weeks to come. 
Some of the things that we're going to see, not all, I'm not going to share them all right now, but just quick tease. These are teasers. You like trailers and movies? There's a trailer, okay? All of a sudden they cover up. Now there's distance in relationships. Isn't distance in relationships, isn't that fun? Not fun at all. Isn't it weird that in the fall, now work becomes more effort? But not only that, have you ever noticed that just maintaining a good, strong relationship takes work? Because we live in a fallen state. It's easy to distance. It's easy to pull apart. And how about these fig leaves? I'm going to cover up. You know why? Because the image of God that I've been creating is not good enough. I got to cover the image of God. I got to create a new image that people will accept. And I'll go for every fad and every new thing that people buy, and I'll do I'm going to put up an image, man, because I'm going to make sure people accept me. And then they hide from God. God, their perception of God is wrong. What do you think they're thinking? I bet you're thinking, God is angry with me. I'm in trouble. How many of you honestly walk around with that gut feeling that I'm in trouble? I'm in trouble. Yeah, two of you are honest. <laughs> and then fear enters into their life. They're afraid of each other. They're afraid of God. There's no intimacy. There's no honesty. It's just diminishing right on the spot. How about this one? And then they repeat these dysfunctional relationship patterns. You ever see or watch your life or others, they keep doing the same thing over again. It's called insanity. Think it's going to get better, but it doesn't. You ever see that one? They take fig leaves, cover up to hide from each other, and then God comes, and then they jump in the trees. What do trees have? Leaves. And now you see a repeat pattern in their life of distance and dysfunction. We start repeating patterns in our life. That's another nuance of that passage right there. How about rigid control? We don't have any controllers here, right? Yeah. I'm going to stay in my trees, Adam says. God says, where are you? I'm staying in my trees. God, you want to talk to me? You're coming to my territory, my ground, my control. That's it. I control the relationship. And taken to the worst degree, boy, that is really volatile. How about this? And then they blame others. Oh, zero responsibility? They're, they're gonna, I'm going to blame God. I'm going to blame the It's the woman. It's you, you know, it's that woman. Now, you want to blow up a relationship and blow up your personal growth? Bl start blaming. Take no responsibility whatsoever. Just it's everybody else's fault. Yeah, it's the way you blow up everything. Let me tell you something that I've watched in, in all these years of ministry. You can only gaslight a, a friend or a spouse for so long. You can only try to make them think they're the crazy one for so long. Because pretty soon they're going to get in a group, they're going to get around healthy people, and start to realize some things. And then one day they're going to go, you can shut up right now. I'm not going to fall for that anymore. I remember my wife telling me one day, she goes, stop it right there, I know what you're doing. I go, I'm not gaslighting, am I? No, I didn't say that. They blame God. She gave me this woman. What are they doing? They say, I'm a victim in the whole story, God. <laughs> Boy, we live in a society of victims now, huh? And no personal responsibility anymore. I'm a victim, God. That's all I am. And how about this one? The battle for control in a marriage. Have you ever been... I don't even want to say it out loud. But anyway, in the chapter, you find that in the fall, uh, the wife her desires for the husband is to run after or run over but he the husband will rule over here oh I'm going to run over you I'm going to rule over you they move from a duet to a dictatorship 
and the fight's on. No one knows what that feels like, huh? And there it is, the battle for control. We're going to examine in the next eight to ten weeks these and other things and they are all interchangeable and they fit with each other. We're going we're to break cycles and make new cycles. That, that's my goal. <clears throat> the question is, you want to take the red pill or the blue pill? What do you want to do? Let me tell you, can I go back to Neo in the Matrix? There's this one scene. He's been pulled out of the Matrix for good. And he's in the car. And they're going to go see the Oracle. They go into the Matrix to go see the Oracle. And he looks and he sees a restaurant. And, he, and they go, what's up? He goes, I used to eat there really good soup. But it's the Matrix, the dream world. And then he says, what does that mean? And Trinity says to him, it means the matrix cannot tell you who you are. See, when you fall into all these traps of fallen nature, the whole culture is going to tell you this and that and tell you who you are. Your false presuppositions, your false assumptions will tell you who you are and it'll be wrong. The abnormal became normal. Only God can tell you who you are. Only God. So we're going to break these old cycles. We're going to make new cycles. That's my heart. That's my goal. I'm just tired of watching marriages break up, friendships break up, because we just won't look at the log in our eyes. And it's because we've never used our eyes to see the reality of what is playing out here. But here's how I want to close today before we worship one last song. Genesis 3.15. This is right after the fall. Mankind has blown it. They've rejected God. They're hiding from God. They're blaming God. They're doing all these things. And then Genesis 3.15 in that chapter says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to the serpent God is, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. What, what, what does that mean? This is the first mention of the Messiah now to come. The moment they blow it, everything's a mess, God decides... I'm going to jump in your mess. Jesus is the seed of the woman. He's coming to crush the serpent's head. He's coming to destroy the power of the enemy and open up our eyes to see so we can walk in new life. God loves you and I enough, even though we're broken this and broken that, to jump into our mess. That's a good God, isn't it not? That's how much He loves us. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus... Let him jump in your mess. First, let him save you from yourself and from sin and ask forgiveness of him and say, Lord, you're, you're my God now. I follow you. And he'll put your name in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. And when you die, you go into eternity with him, escaping hell. But before you die, after you become a born-again Christian, God begins to piece together your life if you let him. If you let him. That's a good thing. But if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, watching at home, you've never done this here in this room, you've never done this, or you backslid, and it's time to just, just get it right. Let's just start following Christ now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Everyone here is going to repeat it out loud after me. You repeat it with us, and you believe it. 
and you believe it, and the Spirit of God will come and live in you and forgive you of your sins. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Everyone repeat after me, especially those who are going to do this for the first time or rededicate your life. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for loving me so much that you would give your life in place of mine. Forgive me of my sins and I know I'm forgiven. Come into my life, Holy Spirit. Start the changes. Thank you. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for jumping in my mess. Now let me pray. God, I pray for anyone who said this prayer for the first time. God, it's a great thing. Or in rededication. I pray now you walk with God. Get around Christians. Got to get around Christians. They'll guide you. They'll lead you. They'll show you the way. You talk to somebody after service, to my left, your right. They'll be there to talk with you too. Or you can get information at the Connect Center. Or you can go on our, our website and they'll give you next steps. But do, you, you got to do it. You can't stay by yourself. One of the fallen nature is isolation. They hid. You can't do that anymore. You want health. Thank you, Jesus, for saving people. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.